Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled to be on the phone today with my friend and my uh, yoga instructor and teacher and mentor, Lara Hyman. Hello, Lara. Hi, Howie. How are you? I am awesome. So just just hearing your voice reminds me of <laughs> sweating in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, I have two two audios that I bootlegged of your classes, and so uh, so I immediately. Well, go, they they were they were legitimate bootlegs, so I guess that's that's a that's one way of putting it. But I'm, my my verbal uh, cues are already coming forth. Yes, I'm already uh, you know drawing my ribs up and in and uh, <laughs> tilting my pelvis forward. So if, uh, if, if that's people... great, if I have that power over the phone, I love it when I walk near somebody and they immediately adjust their posture. <laughs> now, now I have it over uh, just with my voice. It's awesome. Yes, you're like you're 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 like a spine magnet. <laughs> just, yeah, I just align when I hear you talking. The posture, g- general. So, yeah. so we we met uh, over the summer at the North American Vegetarian Society's Summer Fest, where I uh, first <laughs> stumbled onto your classes because uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. find the jogging trail. So it's one of those you know really happy accidents. I wasn't looking for a yoga right. class, um, and so um, you know obviously for meeting there, you are uh, plant based and you right. are. A, um, a yoga instructor. You have your own studio in Princeton, New Jersey called Yoga Stream. That's right. And yoga you, Stream. And you do things very differently from other yoga teachers that I've met. So I want to get into that. I want to talk about the plant-based eating. But first, let's find out a little bit about you, about uh, you know your background, where, where you come from, how you got interested in all this, and just anything uh, cool and fun and interesting that will help us get to know you a little bit. Well, from the get-go, something really cool is that I'm a triplet, which I often forget to tell people because it just, you know, I haven't been anything different, so I forget about that. But that has a lot of, um, just it's just had a wonderful history. I have two identical brothers, and so I grew up with three brothers. I have an older brother as well in North Carolina. Um, so I was always very athletic, trying to kind of keep up with them and, um, didn't think of myself as any different, you know, I was always running around with the boys and athletic, but I also was into dancing and always loved movement. So from a young age, knew how great it felt to move in the body versus not moving, sitting or um, being inert. I could always feel the difference in my mood. And in fact, one of my essays that I wrote to get into Duke University, which is where I ended up going, was about the connection of the mind and body. I ran my first marathon my senior year in high school, and I talked about that, like how training for it and just how that kind of um, attention to the body and um, the habit of, of movement helped me so much with my studies and, and helped me be very successful. And then I went on to become a um, get my master's in physical therapy at Duke as well and moved up to New Jersey after grad school and continued running but also kind of stumbled across yoga just as something that was being offered by this running club and not thinking too much of it. I, I took a class and loved it, loved, loved it from the get-go. Just it, it, I think it tapped into that feeling that I remembered from running and from dancing and just that that spirituality of movement 
and how medicinal it is for the mood. And I got my teacher, my teacher training shortly thereafter, and I've now been teaching for 17 years and run a teacher training program. And, and um, I, in addition to that, I'm a mom and a wife, and I have become a natural food chef because I knew nothing about cooking. My poor mom had four kids. She was just trying to get us all in and out, like military style. <laughs> and so she didn't really spend much time on the details of cooking. So I think when I first was living on my own, I you know, could boil water and a few other things. But I probably wasn't, I was vegetarian at the time, and I probably wasn't the most healthy vegetarian. I relied on a lot of dairy and pasta and things like that. And then when I became vegan 12 years ago, I knew that I really needed to know what I was talking about and, and figure out how to cook this stuff. So I went and became a natural food chef. So now I love it. And it's kind of like this inside joke in my family that I'm this expert chef now because I, 15 years ago, I could barely do anything more than boil water. <laughs> but it has just changed my life being vegan in so many ways. To me, it's so much more about about the outlook of life, and it's very, very integrated in my yoga because it's really about leaving the best life you can lead and, and making the best choices for yourself but for all, all beings and the environment and other people. So it's very, very integrated with my, my yoga practice because my yoga practice is extremely strong and challenging. I'm always trying to challenge myself in different ways, and I think that that's how we grow and get better. And so it really, you know, it dates back long, long ago in my early childhood of just moving and grooving with the boys. And now I am doing it a little bit more kind of intellectual way, but um, I still feel amazing. So that's kind of a short little bio about me. Wow. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of things in there that I'm, I'm curious about. Um, what, one is that as, as a, a dancer, my my mm-hmm. um, my prejudice about dance instruction is that it's often kind of destructive to the body. Um, yes, exactly. That's true. Um, I, I would say when I say dancer, I, I don't want to um, kind of give you the idea I was a professional dancer, but I did a lot of dance lessons and I taught hip hop, and I was I've always loved that. All, just moving the body and kind of had a natural rhythm. My dad's a really good dancer, and I've passed it on. My son and my daughter are good dancers too. But I, I think that ballet training is a wonderful foundation for movement, um, but it can also be very challenging on the joints. I think changes have been made for sure, but I actually have a ton of dancers now, some who come in from New York to Princeton to train with me because they have over, you know, overdone it. They've, their joints um, have gone beyond kind of the, a point of integrity and wearing them down through too much flexibility and not enough stability have, have really wrecked some havoc in their body and they've come to, to reintegrate, you know, what I would say reintegrate, get into their core strength and kind of know their boundaries of what is a healthy movement versus going too far um, into instability. So I, I get what you're saying, and that's definitely there. And what I found in my own yoga practice is that when I was going more for the look of a pose and going for that really deep, because I have a lot of flexibility, that that deep, beautiful 
pose that looks great in a picture, if I were to practice that way over and over again, it, it would not be good for my joints, in particular the low back and sacrum, but also the hamstrings. You can overdo everything. I just actually wrote an article, Howie, it's coming out t- tomorrow called Touching Your Toes is Overrated, and it, and it talks a lot about how we get too much into this picture of what things should look like and we have to um, have those boundaries in place of stability and then mobility within that. So um, I think I knew that intuitively as a dancer, what uh-huh. was what felt good and what didn't. Oh, I'm glad to hear that touching your toes is overrated. Cause, uh, it know, is overrated. I, I was trying to convince myself <laughs> for years that, like, washing my feet in the shower was overrated, you know. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. That's probably a good idea, but you, there's other ways to do it. <laughs> they were so far down there. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so it seems like you have, you know, m- most of the people that I interview – uh, started out in in a very traditional way of thinking, whether it's around food or, or exercise, and they had they sort of had their heads beaten against the wall until they got it. It sounds like that's not mm-hmm. really your story. You sort of have naturally flowed into into very healthy, but in our society, very alternative ways of being and, and, and of living. Um, yeah, you're right. And it comes from a place of kind of almost that more Western medicine. I mean, my dad is a doctor and I, I love medicine. I was, was thinking about going into medicine and ended up doing a kind of a little bit of a side street in physical therapy. But I, I believe in the foundation of that Western medicine, but there's, you know, there's so much science now that shows that, you know, our medicine comes from plants. So we could actually find really medicinal value in using um, alternative medicine. And um, the body just, uh, my body, I know just from kind of, I've, I feel like we're we're like living in an experiment and why not like make it the best we can, you know? So when I eat foods close to the natural source, when I eat mostly plants and, um, well, I eat all plants, but, you know, mostly vegetables and fruit and then some grains, I feel my best. When I when I start getting some processed food in there, I don't feel great, and I know intellectually that it feels great going down. The tongue likes it, the brain receptors like it. You know, it's cueing in all the sugar, salt, and fat. But my body doesn't respond to it the same way it does when it's really fresh and close to its natural form. So I I feel like in a lot of ways I've just like I feel like a lot of athletes do. I've tuned in to what feels good and, and it's similar. I do that in a lot of ways. You know, I don't watch television because when I used to watch television, it didn't make me feel good. Spiritually, it didn't make me feel good. So it doesn't mean I don't every once in a while watch a show or, you know, rent a DVD or something, but it's, it's also something that's done a lot in our society. We spend a lot of time in front of the screen watching, um, Television and I think all that stuff informs us in some subliminal way what we need or who we should be or or even just violence that all comes in there. So it I feel like in a lot of my lot of realms of my life I try and think about what makes me feel best and live from that kind of question. What what I get from you and I don't know you very well. We've hung out together a little bit and I've taken your classes, but what I really get strongly from you is that there's a there's you have a deep sense that that having a body is actually a tremendous responsibility. 
Mm. Yeah, I like I like that. I might steal that line from you. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. We're walking around in this container. One thing I try and do a lot in my yoga practice is teach people about their bodies. People don't know where their quadriceps are. They don't understand why it's important to have strong abdominals, not just because they want to fit in their pair of pants or look good in a bikini. It's functionally absolutely necessary that we protect our low back and we protect our hips and our shoulders through a strong core. So I, I, I absolutely think it's responsibility. And I tell people never apologize for the, the, the need to exercise, the need to be strong. It's a necessity and we will be better in our lives if we take care of ourselves versus not, you know, walking around and not even understanding what we're doing to our body and being disconnected from that because it plays out in other forms in life for sure. The more disconnected you are internally, the more you are externally. I, I believe that fully and I've seen it. I've seen it in people. Right. Well, in, in our society, being strong is associated with a lot of ego tripping around, mm-hmm. around you know, com- competition, around machismo, around mm-hmm. having, you know, looking strong and I will, I will quote from you from the, uh, the first yoga class that the end, the Shavasana, the resting pose, which I've listened to, you know, a hundred times, where you say, <laughs> we, we, we have a responsibility for as long as we can, for as long as we're able to make ourselves stronger, not just so we can be our best in life, but so that we can be our best for others. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I think I, I like that I said that. I, I say things like that all the time because I really believe that. I believe that um, it takes strength to be kind and patient and all the good qualities that we want to practice. And, um, and, and, and you have to have that inner strength and outer strength because when you feel good physically, there's a great, um, there's lots of people that have done studies on this, but there's a great social psychologist, I believe her name's Ann Cuddy, who talks about this in a TED Talk, and when she said this, I realized this is what I've been saying in my yoga classes, and that is we change our mind through our body. And we know that our mind then changes um, our thoughts and our um, our belief system. So if we walk around in in strength in a physical way, we are empowering ourselves to be the best, to make great choices, to align our actions with our thoughts and our beliefs. When we're, when we're walking in around and not feeling strong in our body, it's really easy to be influenced by things. And I, um, you know, unfortunately society and culture and pop culture tells us that we need a lot of things that we don't need, um, that eating animals and treating them a certain way is okay and acceptable that buying things that are made um, in, in using resources that are not renewable that um, that are causing environmental damage is okay we need like we just go along with what society says as opposed to questioning it and doing something different and we can't really act in a responsible way if we're not strong I I absolutely believe that and I know in my own life I felt less powerful and made not the, not not my best choices or made choices from this kind of state of inertia um, when I was not strong in my body. 
um, hasn't happened too many times because, but there have been times where I've been, you know, weak or um, laid up by injury and it just, it plays out. It totally plays out in your mind and in your thoughts and actions. So I, I believe strongly in, in being strong in the body. I don't think it's an ego thing at all. I think we serve others by being a great example in our strength. Right. And, and one thing that I've noticed in, in taking on a yoga practice is, now I don't drive out to a studio every day, so I have to go downstairs into my room, lay out the mat, turn on the tape, and decide to do it. That mm-hmm. while, while there is, there is some physical strength, for me, the muscle that I'm always working is my spirit. Because I, 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 mm. I have so many excuses why I can't do yoga today, every day. Right. Or right. Why, why I can stop after 10 minutes or why when I'm doing a, uh, a handstand against the wall or a down dog against the wall, I can come down now. And I find mm-hmm. I always there's always more body strength available to me. If Always. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's almost like the body becomes this this proxy where I where I can tell, you know, where I say who's going to win the body that's complaining right now or or the spirit that's, you know, that's my true self. Right. And I feel like that I'm, I don't feel like yoga teachers and practitioners um, always teach or practice from that place. You know, it looks as like, oh, I don't want to push myself. I don't want to do this. The, using kind of these negative terminologies like, well, listen to your body. And, and I kind of feel like, well, no, we need to actually challenge ourselves because life is just not going to hand everything out to us and say, okay, take it as you want it. I mean, we have to, we have to challenge ourselves and, but it has to be done from this very intelligent place. And that's the way where I feel like my physical therapy and my real knowledge of the body allows me to um, challenge people because I know that they can do it. If they're aligned properly, they can do it without physically harming themselves it's people that are kind of gunning it, I call, quote-unquote, gunning it, you know, and that's coming more from that ego place, and they're not listening to their bodies and not staying responsible in their alignment that can get injured. And that's when people will talk about overdoing it or pushing it in yoga, whereas I feel like you can challenge yourself tremendously if you're tuned in to your body and its alignment. Um, yeah. and, and go to a place, and every day it can be a little bit more, a little bit more. I, I, I've seen it in hundreds of people, and not one of them looks at me and says, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm harming myself or this is too much. They all look at me like, yeah, thank you, thank you, because too many people give them the options of, oh, yeah, and you can just take it easy or sit back. And No, people don't need that. They have way too many of those options in life to sit around on their couch. Like, we need to get them up and moving and and show people their own capability, even if they don't know it. And that's what's empowering. Yeah, and and one of the things I've noticed is that, you know, I've certainly taken yoga classes where I've been told to push it, but it's been very different from the ones that I've done with you, where, where usually pushing it involves sort of riding the edge of a stretch, Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. that's always felt a little bit dangerous to me, mm-hmm. whether it's bent, you know, right. forward bend or or like the yin yoga where you kind of hold a posture and kind of melt into it. 
that you know right. it, it feels unpleasant <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. and, and, I, and yeah. that doesn't happen in uh in the the uh sequences that you've taught me it's a different kind of challenge right well it's coming from a place that is again primarily from movement we don't do really long holds um and i've learned this in physical therapy as well we used to crank on people and just hold it the belief was that you had to hold it for 30 seconds to have any change in the connective tissue. And that has now um, many times over been, uh, you know, proven wrong, that actually you can do more damage from overholding it for a variety of reasons. But in yoga in particular, when you're going too far into it and holding it for too long, you lose your core integrity often. You just kind of slouch into it, and then the connective tissue can get overstretched. Whereas if you're moving and you're moving from this place of core stability, and as you know how we always start every class with core work and inversions to get the body really ready from this very fired up internal position, you know, place. Um, but the movement itself allows the connective tissue to become more pliable and stretch. And then the challenge becomes how can we move and maintain our core? And that's where I feel like that's, and we do it in so many different ways, a lot of weight bearing through the hands, which is not always done in all yoga classes. Um, there's a lot of, le- people often rely on a lot of leg work, a lot of standing um, postures and balance where we really interchange between standing on your hands and standing on your feet, you know, and, and you can do it with at different levels. So it's a different type of challenge for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to ask you about the inversions because you do a lot <laughs> of inversions, a lot of handwork. And it, it feels like, you know, the word that keeps coming to me, which is uh, kind of a pun considering um, your, your dietary philosophy is that we get planted that we can, that it's a way of sort of mm-hmm. planting ourselves in uh, in connection with the earth. Do you think about yes. it like, like that? I mean, I do, and I probably feel it more spiritually, and, and then, um, and I, I definitely feel it physically, but I probably don't articulate that part of it as much, uh, but I, I feel that. Like, I feel so happy, kind of midway through a class, I feel it's just so organic to just lean right into my hands and I, I never, you know, in my own practice, it becomes everything is leaning into the, the earth, the floor, you know, and that's, and that trust there that I can be on my hands as easily as I, I can be on my feet. And it, and it just feels, it's, a, it, it's so fluid and I'm truly in that like flow that my, my thinking brain isn't working. I'm just feeling it. And I, and I think a lot of it is that leaning and planting into whatever's on whatever is on the ground, whether it's my hand, my forearm, or my foot. Um, I think inversions have completely changed my practice, and com- and changed me in so many ways. Opened it, they, it opens up possibility, and within that possibility, it's all positive. It's so, it's all about potential, and you realize that that's what life is. It's not about kind of staying on this path that just get you from A to B, but what are some other ways you can do it or get there or brighten it or broaden it or um, 
it, I just, I feel like it's come into my life and played out in many ways. My um, confidence, my desire to expand my business, my desire to connect with other people, um, my energy level, my psychic energy level. I kind of feel like each day I wake up and it's it's new and it's wonderful. And it is that feeling of ground, of coming from that grounded place, that planted place, but also that the other end of it, the growth that you see, you know, it's like the sunflower coming up and knowing that there's so much more out there. Mm. So inversions have have done that for me. They've shifted my perspective and grown me in so many ways. And likewise, I've seen it in hundreds of people, like what it does to them. Right. Well, I mean, what not you know, not to um, stereotype, but mm-hmm. there there is a way in which sort of thoughtful, caring women in our society spend a lot of time apologizing for themselves and maybe holding mm-hmm. themselves back and not being mm-hmm. not being strong or not feeling like they have some sort of internal permission or feeling like they're a little bit fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm curious whether whether you were infected with any of that and if so, if you know, if the yoga has been something of an antidote both for you and for maybe a lot of other women who've who've come to your studio. Not so much for me, and I think a lot of it, again, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, being a triplet, I, I wrote a piece about how being a triplet has made me a better parent, but I think it's also a better person because I said because of my mom's literal lack of manpower, I became more empowered <laughs> because I had to be more independent in a lot of ways. You know, I never had that kind of one-on-one attention and because of that, I've always, and my mom always, my, you know, always said, you know, make sure you can stand on your own two feet. She was like this, she was caught in that generation where um, she, not yet, well, she couldn't work because she had four kids at home and my dad is a surgeon, but she certainly was bright enough and it, there, it really wasn't done at that point where somebody with four kids would, would still work and have somebody else take care of their kids it just it wasn't done in the same way it is now so um i personally i didn't have that because i had a cheerleader as a mom i had my own experience of being very powerful and empowered and independent but i see it all the time so i have a little bit of a hard time relating to it sometimes i've never had a hard time putting myself first i always Mm. say if you put yourself first everybody benefits and I can tell you that that has been something I've seen with women um, first possibly struggling with because of the apologies, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, oh, I really shouldn't take time for this because all these other things need to be done, you know, making up excuses and putting themselves kind of in the backseat. Um, and I, I don't get too many of those people anymore. I think they come in and they feel the difference of the studio and they feel that Women are celebrating each other in the studio. They are cheering for each other. It's not a competitive place, even though it is. I mean, you've been there, Howie. You know, it's like super challenging yoga. People are on their hands. They're having a, a really strong practices, but there's not that feeling of um, competition there. And I think that that feels safe for women. And I also don't, I always say, I don't, I don't let people get away with their crap. Like, if they come in with kind of this 
the excuses flowing out of their mouth, I just kind of, I nip it in the bud. I, it's not like I'm harsh, but I, I push them out on it a little bit, you know, like, okay, but you're here now and this is where you need to be and you need to show up. And I don't really listen to their, any kind of diatribe of excuses or weaknesses. And it stops. Like, it's almost like this, this habit, you know, when you stop talking like that and you start practicing in this powerful place, you can't, you can't fuel that, that weakness anymore. Something else is fueled. Right. And I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm not the most sort of, you know, emotionally sensitive person, so I could be, I could be wrong. <laughs> but, you know, I've taken, I think, three or four classes in your studio, and in every class I was the only male. And I didn't feel mm-hmm. like anybody minded. Like these, you know, these were yeah. people in the class mm-hmm. who were who were worried that I was going to judge their body or I was going to hit on them. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in their mental space at all. They were just they were all doing their thing. And I haven't always had that experience in other yoga classes, especially when I come in and I'm the only man. It's like, you know, I, death arrives at the party. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, it is the unfortunate thing that men are um, a big minority in yoga. We're definitely getting a lot more men, and that's great. And I, but I do feel like the women are—they're—they're they're so welcoming of everyone, and that could be all sizes, all shapes, all ages, all genders. I feel like they're really, really welcoming, and I've seen it across the board. Um, you know, it's someone coming in who clearly was in the wrong kind of class in terms of just not the right level for that person and just support all around that. So even when it's very clear that perhaps another class would have been better, it's not that clear to them because everybody's so supportive. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a good place. I feel like we all put out that energy. I, I hope to put out that energy and foster it. And then it's, then it's, you know, all these other people. It's like like attracts like. It just really great people come in, and I, I have the teacher training programs, and I have the same thing with my teacher trainees. They're 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 so jazzed to be there, and they're so they're so excited to meet similar people who who know that this is a different style of yoga, and that are really taking this practice in their into their lives and integrating these philosophies of building strength and connecting to your core in a physical and spiritual way. Right. Let's, let's, it makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about integration because that's something that mm-hmm. I've really experienced in, in your guiding me in my, in my own work in, is that uh, the way you approach yoga is that it really has to be applicable off the mat and mm-hmm. so, I, you know, before I started working with you, I was talking with my chiropractor about maybe doing some yoga, and she's not really into yoga. And mm-hmm. she was saying that in her experience, yoga was invented at a time before people were sitting at desks, and too much of yoga is actually exacerbating the kind of postural contractions and slumps. Mm-hmm. And I and and so I, I noticed in your classes, there's almost no for you know contraction; it's almost all extension. Uh, when we when we go into a lot of postures, you talk about this is you know fire up your butt. We we have to combat you know butt mush from sitting at our desks. Yeah. We have to <laughs> you know bend our our wrists back to stretch our to stretch our wrists and hands because of the way we mm-hmm. we type. Um, 
can you talk, talk about like your your take on the world and how yoga can help us be better in it? Well, I think first of all, yoga, the t- especially the type I do, which is um, a, a fusion of functional exercises from like a physical therapy standpoint or other you know other lifestyle. Um, functional exercises it has some dance type things it's and then it has classical yoga postures but it's it's a blend but it's movement and it's movement in a lot of different ways i feel like that's the first thing that sets yoga apart from other physical practices you know you could run you can bike uh all these things and those are fairly repetitive so the muscles that are working are working a lot and the muscles that aren't working are not working so there becomes a real imbalance and with yoga I feel like there is a true balance you know we do uh, the, you know we work in the hip ranges we work in the, the ranges of the shoulder um, again it's coming from a place of stability I always believe in you know so if I had a beginner I would work primarily working on stability and when I talk about stability I'm talking about core and that's everything but your limbs so being able to just hold yourself on all fours and lift one leg up, that's going to require core stability. So with somebody new, I'm not going to get them necessarily moving and grooving all over the mat, but work from that place. And in life, we are not in our core. Like you said, we're sitting at a desk, and that's pretty challenging to sit with your core engaged eight to ten hours a day. Um, not a lot of people do it. But if you are doing it, in your practice, you're more likely to do it sitting. The other thing is you're more likely to not sit for 8 to 10 hours a day. Even if your work requires it, I see people who have made changes in their work life because of yoga. They've either got a standing desk or they're getting up and, and closing their door and getting into down dog. You know, they're combating some of those really sedentary postural positions that do contract you like your chiropractor was telling you. So I feel like yoga and especially this type of yoga is working in all ranges. So no one direction or one, no one movement is getting overworked and therefore tighter, tighter. Um, and it's coming from a place of stability. So when we move, we're, com- we're, we're, we're stable. We're moving off of a, of a stable core, which is always a safer, more functional, better place to be. Yeah. And I don't, I do, I do extension, I do forward folds, but I don't do any seated forward folds. I don't do anything like, like again, because that's where I would agree with your, your person, your chiropractor. It's like, we don't need to do seated forward folds. We're kind of folded over a lot during the day. So we do enough of the standing forward folds as a transitional movement. I also don't hold standing forward folds. Um, we use it in transitions and in our sun salutations, but other than that, we're really not folding over trying to get our nose to our knees or anything because, yeah, we're, we're in that position most of the day. We need to combat that. So there is a lot of natural, organic um, thought that goes into why we do what we do. Okay. So I want to ask you about one posture that, that you introduced uh, at the first class I took, saying, do this every day, it will change your life. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is down dog on the wall. <laughs> down dog on the wall. So being, you know, hands extended and your feet mm-hmm. are up on the wall, whether whether you're close to vertical or or still pretty horizontal. Um, you know, work working your way. Now, now functionally, I you know I I don't do that in my daily life. Like I don't. So mm-hmm. t- tell me why that is such a transformational posture. Well. Um, gosh, let's, let's work from the ground up. I mean, first getting on your hands is so wonderful. Um, it's stretching out your wrists just by putting weight down on them. So we, again, are working mostly in a, in a, in a flex position, like you were talking about typing on the computer, talking on the phone, driving, it's all flexion. So when you, when you open up your hand and you put weight down on it, you're stretching out your hand musculature. You're getting weight through the wrist and stretching out the wrist. Um, bearing weight through the wrist goes right up into the joint of the arm bone and then right up into the shoulder girdle. And that's called ground reaction force. So it's one of the best ways of not only building strength because the muscles around the joint have to contract, but it's also great for maintaining bone integrity. So the actual bone matrix, weight bearing, we don't do a lot of that during the day, and we need to do more of that. Even though we're probably not going to walk around, you know, on all fours during the day functionally, it wouldn't be a bad thing. It's actually right. probably, I do that a lot. It's fun. But um, then getting your legs up the wall, getting your head down, that's inversions. There's been lots of um, studies that have shown that it affects the neurotransmitters in your brain. Your blood flowing is a different direction, but more than anything, you kind of you feel happy when you get get up from being in an inversion. And this is a great inversion to be in because you're working it as well. It's not passive, like just dangling your head over the side of the bed would be. You're working your arms, you're working your legs, you're opening up the back of your legs. And then one other real added benefit is maintaining your core. You have to, it's, it's like any structure that you would have in that kind of 90 degree alignment or whatever degree alignment it is, the center has to really stay lifted. Otherwise, everything's going to kind of start folding towards the floor. So it's a wonderful way to lift your um, front body into your back body. So holding those lower abdominals in, lifting up into the pelvis. And it feels great, and it's getting that cellular memory in the muscle of how to hold the pelvis up using your core. And we need more of that. So it's it's not a directly functional thing that you're going to walk around on your hands all day, but it's working all these. And then, of course, you're working your shoulders. I mean, it goes on and on. It's just great. And you're opening up your hand strings. So it's doing work in all these ranges that you need, but it's training your core to stay engaged so that when you are upright walking around or you lean over to get something, that you are have trained your core, hey, you've got to hold your front body into your back body so that when you walk around, you're not slouching into your low back. When you lean over, you're not drooping and rounding and forgetting about your you know, your low back and your core. So it does play out in different ways, but it just feels amazing. People love it. It's also get almost anyone can do it. So there's a very wonderful feeling of success. You know, you get up upside down and you stand, you, you know, you walk your feet down and stand up and it's like, wow, good job, lady. Hi, you just held yourself up. 
so people feel empowered immediately. Mm. So I have to ask you for my personal practice. I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, I can't actually tell. Like, you know, I think I'm totally vertical, but I'm probably really far from from <laughs> vertical. But, I, you know, so I can't really tell exactly where I am, but I think I'm using pretty good form. But after about 45 seconds, I mm-hmm. start, you know, shaking, collapsing. I feel like I need to come down to avoid, you know, breaking my nose. Yes, um, and that's what you should do. Yeah. So how many times should I do that a day? Because I feel like I'm not really, you know, I'm not up to like mm-hmm. two minutes, three minutes, you know, walking right. on my hands yet. So I'm, I'm obviously well, not challenging mm-hmm. to, in, in a growth pattern right now. Well, there's a lot of different challenges you can take. You don't necessarily have to go for more time. You could come up and have and, and start pushing your toes into the floor, I mean, into the wall and lifting your heels off the wall so you're coming more over your wrist like Mm. a pike type of position and then just rock forward and back like that maintaining of course the ribs in the low belly in you know some people tend to kind of hang on their shoulders so you want to when you're upside down feel that i always call it the poof in the armpit so you you're training your shoulder also not to just sag into the joint, but to all the muscles around the shoulder joint, the glenohumeral joint, what we think of as the shoulder joint, um, to, to, to work and not sag there. So I would just start adding challenges to it. Put one leg up, and then if you one leg is up, you could do the, the, the leg that's on the wall, could push the toes into the wall there and lift the heel off. So you're kind of going more over your wrist in that way. You could also have that one leg up and then pull that one knee into the belly and then stretch it back up. So you could start adding movement to the stability. So the first stage is get the stability without any movement and then start adding small movements to it. Um, I don't think staying up beyond 45 seconds is necessarily uh, anything more beneficial. I mean, at some point you're going to feel like your head's going to explode, so you're going to have to come down. You know, I was in handstand for a photo shoot a couple weeks ago, and she said, you're going to have to stay up there for a while. It was in the middle of Grand Central Station. She had a low shutter speed, and so she wanted to get the feeling of stillness and chaos. So I was still, and then all these people were moving all around me, and I think I was up for like three minutes. It must have been a world record for myself. (laughs) And, you know, I felt like my arms were going to go into tetany. It was like (laughs) all the blood was there. So at some point... You know, you're going to want to come down. It's not going to be that beneficial. And I think, so I think 45 seconds is plenty, but just start adding movement without moving your core. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so you, so you mentioned earlier that you, you don't just do straight yoga. And I know you've, you know, I've, I've done things that were sort of dancey because I had to kind of like stare at my feet and figure out you know, where they were going. You've done some right. things inspired by uh, some martial arts. Mm hmm. Um, and from, you know, some physical therapy understanding. And, and I, I guess your physical therapy training kind of underpins everything to, as you said, to know kind of how, how hard you can push people in a good way. What, right. That, you know, I saw there was a, there was like a very controversial article, I think it was in the New York Times a year or two ago about how everyone's injuring themselves in yoga. And, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what, what should people, if they want to do yoga, you know, and I, I know you don't want to kind of, badmouth anybody um but are there things to look out for if you go to a class or you meet a teacher or you're in a studio are there things that people should you know 
that they need to protect themselves against? Yes, and let's see if I can come up with a concise answer because um, I think that I, I, I don't do postures, some postures that many people do based on my own understanding of alignment and knowing that it logically doesn't seem like a good idea, like to bear weight on your cervical spine, um, to go into certain postures where your cervical spine is super flexed, you know, like a, a like a plow or something. I don't do. And me, the, meaning, the man so, that wrote that article. Mm-hmm. So, so just for people who aren't familiar, a plow is I'm on my right. back and my my hips, my feet are touching the ground. Oh, behind, behind my you. head. Right. Yes. Exactly. So your weight bearing. Um, Across, it's supposed to be like a across the shoulder blades and off of the neck, but um, that actually that pose has proved very problematic for a lot of people. And it is it's putting pressure on the cervical spine and actually opening them up in a way that's similar to what happens when you um, injure your disc. You know where you're opening up too much and there's a gap and the cervical disc can press through there. It's, it's a movement. I always look at every movement at, as cost-benefit. What is the cost? What is the benefit? And does the benefit outweigh any potential cost? For that, to me, there is no benefit that is anywhere near the cost of that pose. So I just have not done that for years. And interestingly, when I have new people come in, they'll say, oh, I can't do this pose and this pose and this pose. And I'm always like, oh, that's fine. I don't do those anyway. It's always the poses that people can't do. Uh, so... For, for plow is one thing I don't do and I don't recommend. Um, shoulder stand, which is when you're from a plow, your legs would come straight up in the air, so you're bearing weight on your shoulders. Again, I don't recommend that. It's, it's an inversion, and um, it's, there's just way too many potential costs with that and not, enough, not any benefits that you can get from another pose. That, the only benefit they would say is it's an inversion. Um, I don't do fish pose, and there's no reason that you would necessarily we even need to explain that. But it's, you're bearing weight on your cervical spine with your your chin thrust up, and it's it's just awkward looking. I mean, there's it's critical thinking. That's another thing I really try and teach people is think for yourself. Does this seem like a good idea? You know, like eating this way is this a good idea? even though people are telling you you need 80% protein. Does that seem like a good idea? You know, I want people to start thinking for themselves. And the same way is in yoga. I've had so many people who have done um, yoga for eight years and been injured. And when I correct one thing, they say, wow, why did no one tell me to do that? This always hurts when I do it. So I would say, well, Somebody should have told you, but if it's hurting, you also need to take some responsibility. So it's twofold. All right, getting back to your question, because I could talk a lot about that. If you're going into a class, first of all, listen to what the teacher is saying and see from that critical thinking mind, does it make sense? Does it seem like she, know, she or he knows the body? Now, I, I, have, to, I, direct, have, to, hmm? I have to interrupt you there for a second, because that, 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 feel, that feels like... You know, it's kind of the opposite of the way we're told to go into anything that's sort of spiritual, which is, you know, you have mm-hmm. to trust your teacher, you have to give your will away. And, yeah, no, you know, I don't, I don't, but, yeah. Mm-mm. No, so we, we have we, to, we, we, check we have our to come from our, yeah. Door. Yeah, and I feel like that's not a good, I mean, I, I cannot tell you the number of people. 
Well, it's like going to a doctor and assuming that the doctor has all the right answers. Maybe they do, but if something seems a little bit, you know, I had like I had a thyroid disorder and the guy wanted to give me radioactive iodine and kill my thyroid. Now, if I had not been a critical thinker, he's telling me that's what everybody does. And I was like, that sounds pretty radical, you know? But he, he's telling me everybody else does it. So why am I the only one that's saying, hmm, let's see if there's another way? So you always have to come to that place because that's why, again, trying to teach people to know and understand their bodies and integrate. When I say integrate into their bodies, like what they're doing at any one minute is consistent with the rest of that day. So the choices that I'm making um, about how I spend my time, who I spend my time with, how I move my body, they're consistent throughout. And it's coming from this place of spiritual integrity, which is I'm honoring myself. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to listen to somebody who has valuable information. But it should always come from a place of really knowing yourself. And um, when you teach people to know their bodies, then they, go in, they intuitively go deeper to know more about themselves. You can hide a lot by not going inward, by not understanding your body, by not knowing why you've done the same thing over and over again and never questioned it. So that's where, there, there, so there's so much, um, there's so much work on the mat in a great way. There's so many lessons to be learned. And one of them is you are responsible for yourself. And one thing I always say is do what feels good and do not do what doesn't feel good, period. So I'm always surprised when people say they've done something over and over again because a teacher told them that's the way to do it or, or a teacher didn't correct them. So that's the first thing. Do what feels good, don't do what doesn't feel good when you come into a class, no matter what a teacher is telling you. And all my people that go to other people's classes when they travel and stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, I was sitting in the back, and when everybody else was doing this, I did something different. And I say, that's great. And I encourage people to do that in class too. And my ego is not involved. If they're not doing something I'm telling them to, they're adjusting because their body is different than mine. But the teacher needs to see... So that's a that's a really good good way. Is the teacher seem to want to really have control completely and not allow for any variations? That's that would be a red flag to me. Um, be, sometimes people who don't know enough want to have that kind of um, power, and because they don't know enough, and they somehow know that. So somebody who's more like that might not know as much as you want them to. So you want somebody who knows a lot about the body who's open-minded about um, your experience in your body and who is also hands-on. If you go to a class and a person does not touch a single person in the class or very little contact, then I wouldn't return to that class because I think that that is um, not a good time. And that happens a lot. And so you want to go where somebody is adjusting and that those adjustments feel good and the person seems very knowledgeable. That would be, those are, and, and are doing moves that are coming from, that, that seem to make sense in your body. Even if, you're, even if you're new to yoga and you're doing something and it seems not, it seems really challenging, like doing a triangle after four minutes in the class, uh, you know, that's not, that's not intelligent sequencing either. So there's a lot to think about, and that's why it's hard as a beginner. Um, 
when you're not as well informed about what you should be looking for. Mm. I hope I, that was helpful. Yeah, <laughs> I was I kind of rambling. Say, <laughs> I have to say, I totally agree about hands-on as a as a student mm-hmm. because you know, no matter what you tell me, my body has been doing the same damn thing the same damn way for forty-eight mm-hmm. years. Exactly. I, I simply don't have. There's no place for me to get new inputs. But right. having someone else, you know, whether it's a body worker, moving my body in new ways, giving me a new experience from the outside, or even just putting a hand on a hip and saying, push into this. That, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, exactly. I'm a huge believer in feedback, but, mm-hmm. you know, the physical feedback is so immediate. It, you know, yes. It's like the, the minute my body senses that, oh, this is a more advantageous way to be in this posture or to move through this posture, it, it learns instantly. Right, right, exactly. And that's a good way of putting it. It's more advantageous. Yeah, you could do a posture a certain way or hold it a certain way, but um, could it be better? Like, could it feel better? And that's and and somebody who is knowledgeable and, and hands on is, is gonna help facilitate that. Great. That's that's very useful, I think, for uh, for folks to think about as they explore yoga and and reclaim their own power. From maybe you know mm-hmm. someone who's who's charismatic who has all the answers and and really uh, you know isn't isn't going to um, listen to to someone's object you know subjective experience of their own body. Right. Exactly. Um, so you have a studio in Princeton, New Jersey. If people are within within driving distance, they should definitely hightail it over. On, uh, yes, on, they should. On it's a Street. great fun place. <laughs> but yeah, Spring there, Street, Forty Four Spring. Sadly, there are people listening to this call who can't get in their car and take your your classes and uh, and go to your studio. Uh, do you have things for other folks who who want to learn more about what you do and, and experience some of it, um, even if even if they can't uh, make it to the to the regular weekly classes? Well, I do, and I'm I'm developing even more possibilities. But as of right now, we um, I do have workshops. I am doing some traveling with the workshops. So, if someone is interested in having me come to a studio in their area, um, they can contact me, and I'm very happy to try and make that happen. I um, I lead retreats, so if you want to have a great vacation and get good yoga. You know, that it's a win-win all the way around. Um, I have a retreat in November to Mexico. I have one in to Costa Rica in January, but that's sold out. I also have teacher trainings, and I, I haven't set the date on my next one. And then I have just a lot of things in the mix, um, some festivals that are coming up. I will be in Cincinnati, Ohio for a festival and, and possibly some big festivals next summer, so... The best thing to do is check out the website, um, yogastream.net, and all the information on there of where I am and where we're going um, is is on there. And I do hope to have something more live streaming in the in the future. And and there's there's a lot of up in the air and possibilities there that are really exciting because I, I definitely want more people to experience this type of yoga. I think it's from I always say it's a, like a one stop shop. You come in, you practice, and like so many things happen. You've felt like, as you know, Howie, it's cardiovascular. That's a big complaint with a lot of yoga is that you then have to go run five miles because it doesn't really get your heart rate up much, but you do so much movement. 
um, that it, it taps into that and it's super challenging for strength and, and flexibility. And then you just feel energized and calm and, and at the same time. So I, and it's, you know, it's intelligent. It's coming from a place of what feels good in the body and how things should be sequenced and how to align the body. And so everyone that takes my classes or takes people at the studio's classes, they're all, they've all been trained by me. Um, it's always coming from that place of the body intelligence. And, and I just want more people to experience that um, because it is wonderful and fun and playful. You know, yoga should be um, exciting and playful. It doesn't have to be all serious. <laughs> right. So, so I want, I want, I want to close with a, coming back to a nutrition question, which, um, mm-hmm. which has to do with your fact that you are a pretty intense athlete. Right? Mm-hmm. Com- compared to sort of ordinary people, you do a lot of physical movement, physical challenge. And so I'm going to mention the P word, protein. Mm, um, right, so, right. So I'm talking to a lot of folks. Um, I have a couple interviews coming up with, you know, Brendan Brazier, who, who uh, was a triathlete, a plant-based triathlete who created the Vega line of supplements. I have a call coming up with Rich Roll, and I've talked to a lot of other people, and I'm getting answers all over the board for, for, for plant-based athletes about whether their protein requirements are different or greater, even though, yes, you know, the USDA and Colin Campbell and all these people are saying, this is how much we need. So I'm wondering, from your subjective experience, um, what's your take on protein, on, on kind of concentrated plant sources or supplementation, um, you know, just to feel, mm-hmm. to feel your best on an ongoing basis? Well, I mean, I can speak from my perspective, which is being a yogi and, and what, what it feels like energetically and physically it's best to feel light and strong. So, and I'm sure the triathletes would say the same thing. You want to be as light as you can, but very powerful. So I just, I am guided by, again, my intuition. I never overthink what I'm eating. Um, And it seems to work. (laughs) So I just really don't focus on the protein at all. I don't focus. I just know that I'm, I'm getting enough because I, I look strong and I don't ever feel weak or deconditioned or tired and my blood work always um, matches that. It always shows that I'm fine in terms of, you know, my iron and um, B12 and all that kind of stuff. But I, I really, I'm not the best to talk about that because I can I can eat extremely lightly and, and, you know, one day have a lot of protein in the form of like tempeh bacon and nut butter and, and another day have very little, like mostly fruit and a salad with some sesame seeds on it. And I don't honestly feel different day to day. I don't feel like, wow, I really, I never, I never relate to people when they say, wow, I'm really craving protein or I really need this because I'm craving protein. I've never feel that ever. I just feel like, what does my body need? And it's more kind of a light feeling. Like, do I want to feel kind of more heavy or do I want to feel more light? Well, I always want to see what can I get into my body that's going to make me feel good and um, satiated but not heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the best with that because I just I don't ever think it. I know intuitively I'm getting plenty of protein without even trying, without even thinking about it. You know, so far today I've had 
like half a pineapple and um, uh, what else have I had? A, a handful of almonds and that's it. And you know, I'm not even that hungry. So I kind of just listen to my body. Some people would say, oh my gosh, you didn't have breakfast. You don't, I just say, we need to listen to our bodies more. You know, some people wake up and they're ravenous and they need to have something that's going to stay with them for a while. I, I rarely wake up ravenous, so it doesn't make sense for me to, to eat right away because I know I'm going to practice anyway, and I'm fine with that. Um, right. Well, I'd love, to, I'd, I'd love to put yeah. a, you know, to kind of put a, an exclamation point on that, which is, is for people listening, not to say, I want to be like Lara and, you know, eat very little and not worry about it. <laughs> I would rather right. people say, yeah. I want to be like Laura and listen to my body and, well, under- right. and understand that, that each of us is different, that there's no, there's no ideal. Like I've talked to people who, who totally. are, con- are convinced that they need, you know, a hemp protein shake after a workout or else they're tired. And for them, that's true. Yeah, the, the, absolutely. The, I, that, I would say that more than anything because I, you know, I live with my husband and he's very different. He could never kind of, do what I do in, in, in terms of like more intuitive eating, eating when I'm hungry. And, um, he, he really, he loves those protein shakes and he loves them when he's done a run and it just feels, you know, very gratifying. Um, and I'm not saying I've just never really experimented in that realm because I, I just haven't felt the need for it, but maybe I should. Who knows? Maybe I'd be doing, you know, four-hour practices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't get too energized. I don't have time to do a four-hour practice. <laughs> Bro, you can stop sleeping. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Like having having requiring less sleep to have more hours in the day. That would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be a goal uh, I'd want to work toward. Uh, that'll be another call. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll experiment a little bit, Howie, and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> well, well, our next call, your speech will be slurred. You'll be walking into the wall. And say, this two hours a night is amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, get, 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 get your rest. <laughs> yes, yeah. No I, no, I think rest is important for sure. And I've never had a problem with sleep. I sleep really well. <laughs> All right. Any any final thoughts? Anything I haven't asked you that you wished I had? No, you ask a lot, and I think I talked a lot. I hope that um, this was helpful and meaningful and inspiring for anyone out there who wants to practice um, fun, challenging yoga. Go for it and contact me. I'd love to hear from anyone and with any questions. I just got a question from someone in the UK yesterday about her lumbar spine and it just, it jazzes me up to, to reach, reach out to people all over the world and, and see what we can create together. Awesome. So folks can find you at, uh, yogastream.net. Uh, you That's also right. have, you also have a column on mindbodygreen.com. A lot of your, your blog do, posts and articles there. I do. I have, um, an elephant journal and, um, I have a new article coming out today, and that's on my yoga online, which is all one word dot com. And that's great. That has, that actually is a great website for um, resources, for articles, and for some online yoga classes. Awesome. Well, Laura Hyman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's, I've uh, I've uh, I've gained and appreciated so much 
the work that you've done to help me get stronger and and lighter and more flexible and more resilient. And I I I offer my blessing that your work goes out into the world and uh, and and ripples beyond beyond. Thank you so much. That just made my day. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Be well. You too. Bye. Oh, bye.